Welcome to Call It Like I See It, presented by Disruption Now. I'm James Keyes, and today we would like to continue our culture series by discussing one of our favorite books, 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Joining me today is the man who is well on his way to conquering 20,000 books, Tunde Ogunlana. Tunde, any tips for the audience on how you're able to keep it up after all those books? No, it's a secret, man. <laughs> all right, all and, right. And, I, and I, need, I need to live to about 130 for me to get to 20,000. <laughs> that's that's going to be the secret in the end. That's the secret. Yeah, live a long time. Got it, got it. All right. Now, we're recording this on February 23rd, 2020, and we continue our culture series by discussing a book from one of both of our favorite authors, Robert Greene. We actually had the honor of interviewing Robert Greene last year in a podcast that was released in July of 2019 on the Disruption Now podcast. In that, we focus mainly on one of his newer books, The Laws of Human Nature. If you haven't had a chance to check that one out, you know, de- definitely go check that out. I want you to finish this one, of course. You, know, <laughs> you don't have to stop what you're doing right now. Um, the 48 Laws of Power is one of Green's older books, uh, but boy, it's a good one. And it analyzes some common dynamics in human interactions and expertly weaves them into historical storytelling context. And it's all centered around obtaining and wielding power. So we're going to discuss some things that stood out to us today, looking at several themes that came up through several laws and, you know, and, and look at it in that way. Um, so we're not going to hit each law, but we have some of the themes and then some of the laws that are implicated by that. The first thing we wanted to look at today is the theme of changing minds. You know, if you want to acquire power, wield power, you're going to have to change people's minds or, or modulate their behavior in some way to be consistent or in the direction you need it to be. So with that theme, Tunde, were there any laws that stood out to you as far as how Green suggests or, or proposes that you do that type of thing? Yeah, no, I think there were, there were a few, a handful, um, chapters 9, 13, 33, and 43, I believe, stood out to us the most in terms of kind of persuasions and mind-changing. But to me, number nine and, and number 13 uh, kind of were, were at the top of the list. Um, number nine is went through your actions, never through argument. Mm-hmm. And num- number 13 is when asking for help, appeal to people's self-interest, never their mercy or gratitude. And I thought those were, you know, just the titles that kind of speak for themselves and the stories within them were were very intriguing. But um, you know, obviously winning through your actions, never through argument. I mean, that's that's the classic that I think we've all heard uh, over our lifetimes, the, the term uh, or the saying that actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, I think we've all been around the block long enough to know that that's so true. And then this, the, the other one, Chapter 13 or Law 13, um, when asking for help, appeal to people's self-interest, never their mercy or gratitude. That one was a good one to me that stood out because I think a lot of times when people are trying to get someone to see their way um, or, you know, to persuade them to do something in their interest, a lot of times people will either appeal for mercy or, or ask for sympathy or empathy, or they'll try and persuade someone with an argument that benefits the one trying to do the persuading. Yeah. So this was a good, and they and they gave a great um, historical example. I think that went back to Athens and Greece and some of those old 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 um, war stories back then. But the idea of just, you know, if you want something, don't talk about why you want it or why it's so important to you. It was more of find why whatever you're looking for is in whoever you're talking to or whoever you're looking for help from's interest. Yeah. And focus on that. And I thought that was so real because in the end, we all, as human beings, we're all self-interested. So if you understand approaching another person from that angle, um, it may help you in your quest. And and I want to be kind of clear here, too. This isn't just like, oh, the quest to gain power. Uh, even though this book is very, um, has a lot of Machiavellian type of traits to it. I found that things like this were just not only helped me in my business life, but even at home. Um, just in my marriage or as a parent, you know, like it's just when you're when you're trying to persuade somebody to see your way, it's not always about conquering them. Sometimes it's just about moving the needle on whatever the subject is in a way that's that's kind of easy and, and without a lot of conflict. And obviously at home, you know, in a marriage or as a parent, those are you know, I, I prefer to act that way than to be wielding a, a you know, a sledgehammer all the time. So. Doc yeah, that's this, an excellent point. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I found the book very, very useful for not only the business side, but, but and that's why I think the title sometimes is deceptive of the book, and, and people get this 
thought that if you read this book and you like it, you're some sort of, uh, you know, like master manipulator type where you desire to be. And I, I, I think of it, no, it just helped me deal with people. And um, well, But that's because you know. if you take a narrow view of power and just like political power or military power, then, then you would come away with that type of mindset. But power is not necessarily, power is not a boogeyman. Power is not in the abstract. Any type of humor, human interaction, there is a power dynamic. You know, like, and so understanding how this is about, like, this is about interacting with people is how I see the book, really. I mean, like, so yeah. the power aspect is just how to be intentional as far as your interactions with other people. It's not about controlling them necessarily. It's about, like, just for example, like Law 9, one of the things that stood out to me in that, and as a lawyer in particular, was that when you try to win through argument, even if somebody eventually says, fine, whatever, it also builds resentment, yeah. you know? And, and so it's like, oh, man, so you, you, you need to to show people things and, and make that a point when you are trying to, to bring them to your side of something or to get them to understand what it is that you're trying to, to convey, show them much more than telling them. And the downside of, of telling them and arguing and trying to box them into arguments and stuff like that is that they may say, okay, they may relent, but then they're sitting there mad at you, which is not yeah. what you would want, whether it be a kid, whether it be a, a coworker, whether it would be anyone. Well, I think you know. it brings a great point because it's, it's, you said something interesting, which is if that's what you want. And I think what what why I guess why this book is called the Forty Eight Laws of Power. And if you look at power being um, truly the ability to to, to navigate people, uh, uh, is like you said, some people it's it's their own ego that they have to be right and they have to dominate someone through the argument. Yeah. So I think it, part of this book, what it what it also kind of reflected on me was, you know, part of this game of power and 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 just kind of getting navigating through this terrain of life with humans is also a little bit about you know self humility and self control. Because oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. if I'm gonna win through actions, sometimes I got to shut my mouth, right? I got I got to let things play out and allow others to see. Um, you know, the results of something, whatever the case is that we're in. And as you were talking, it made me think of, I have a joke at home, which is I call the touch the stove uh, moments. And it's because what happened with our youngest, who's now, uh, he'll be nine in May. Um, when he was 18 months, we had that moment of him touching the stove and him looking at me with his hand about to go to the stove and basically smiling and me trying to tell him and, 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 persuade him through argument that it wasn't a good idea for him to put his hand on the stove and he wasn't listening <laughs> yeah, yeah and he kept trying to go back you know I'd, I'd get him to kind of walk away from this from the stove and then uh, you know five minutes later he's back trying to he's like mesmerized by this thing and you know luckily my wife wasn't home she was out running errands because <laughs> <laughs> my dad brain was like you know what you got to let him just touch the stove. <laughs> and I remember the kid, he put his hand, he didn't actually, I didn't let him put his hand on the stove, obviously, and burn it like in that way. But he had his hand, like I let it rest on the edge where he could just feel the heat. And you could see that the signal going to, from his hand to his brain. And all of a sudden it was, ah, you know, the whole screaming. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he took his hand off in a split second and he never put his hand on the stove again. Yeah. So yeah. so it's like, you know, it's just sometimes it's that basic, you know. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. I mean, and the other two uh, I know that we had noted um, when we were going through was Law 33, which is discover each man's thumbscrew. Yeah. Now, which that, that one was an interesting one in the sense yeah. that it, that's another one that requires you to shut your mouth. Correct. Um, and observe, <laughs> you know, observe what people, you know, observe people, observe what moves them, what type of things they're worried about, what type of things that make them happy, things like that. Yeah. And then if you're going to approach them, and again, this is another thing, this is parenting, you know, like you have to know for your kids what motivates them or what, yeah. you know, what, what deters them <laughs> and things like that. And so what, what, but if, what you giveth and what you taketh away. Is yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so that you have to, you know, close your mouth, open your eyes and observe, you know, the things that move people so to speak so like that and, was another and, and admittedly that the title of that one definitely seems a little more machiavellian than the other two. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's not a nice way to put discovering a man's thumb screw <laughs> hey man stop apologizing man it's a good book <laughs> no but you make a great point that in order to um in order to even know what that is one has to be a good listener and, yeah, has and to, observe has to you stop know, yeah stop eyes talking. ears yeah correct 
So what'd you have next, man? Well, uh, no, I mean, I wanted to mention the other one too, okay. um, which that we saw for this was Law 43 and work on the hearts and minds of others, which if you're going to feel a little defensive about them, this one would sound bad too. But no, um, I felt like that one sounds more self-explanatory. Like, of course, if yeah. I want to get people to see my way or persuade them, I got to work. I can't, again, I can't just bludgeon them over the head figuratively with a sledgehammer of, of words and all that. I got to somehow win them over to my side. You have to connect with them, though, in a way. And that's the, this plays in with 9 and 13 as far as, you know, winning through your actions, not argument, and when asking for help, you know, appeal to self-interest in the sense that this, again, is saying that the rational brain is not how you uh, communicate effectively with people. You know, it's, it's not yeah. you're going to, to, to give them some your presentation and their brain is going to kick in and then they're going to be you know down for what you want to do or something like that. It's, go, it's going to be again, you have to, to, to do things that are meaningful to them, you know, meaningful, not thoughtful, but meaningful. And so that's that's where this one comes in. So, yeah, those, it was interesting, though. And there's other laws that touch on various aspects of this. But this theme, you know, it, obviously, you know, if you want an, an interact human interaction, you're going to have to try at times to change people's minds on things. And so another thing that came up, you know, and this one was was fascinating to me. Um, you know, you navigate through life and the longer you're alive, the one thing you, you always recognize is that the best way to deal with a problem is to avoid. It. You yeah. know, and so like one of the <laughs> themes that we, we pulled out here was just different laws that dealt with avoiding trouble, whether it be avoiding creating trouble yeah. or you can avoid walking into a trouble situation. Yeah. What stood out to you or, you know, what, what, which one stood out to you here? Uh, right. or, you know, anyone. There were several. Um, well, actually, one of them that really was probably one of the main, um, and I think it's interesting, and I know we, we had talked about this a little bit offline in preparing for the show, that I first read this book when I was, I think I was 33, maybe. And it, it came out and, in, what, 98, right? Yeah, 98, it came out. so 22 years ago. So I think I was 33 or 34 when I first read this book. And reading it again now in preparation for the for the show, is it you know like you, you said it well in your life experience you go through things. So when you read books like this at different periods of your life, different things also stand out. Yeah. And so one of the things that though you know over the years that I read it because I'll be forty two in a few weeks, so they call it you know seven eight years of me kind of looking back and forth at this book. Since interesting. Uh, Law 10, avoiding infection, avoid the unhappy and unlucky, has stood out to me over time as one of those, to, to your point about avoiding trouble. Yeah. Because um, I, I was a little bit naive, I think, at a younger age in terms of how to spot certain um, personalities. And that one helped me see certain personalities coming from a mile away. So, you know, and, and avoiding kind of getting entangled and enmeshed, as he puts it, with some of those um, but the others that stood out, um, number one, uh, law one, sorry, never outshine the master. Law 13, when asking for help, appeal, sorry, 13, we already, we already did that one. Law 19, know who you're dealing with. Um, do not offend the wrong person. I think that's self-explanatory. We'll get into that one. Uh, think as you like, but behave like others. That one, um, as, as much as that does sound Machiavellian, that, that has been necessary. <laughs> You know, it has been necessary at times in my in my personal and and uh, and, uh, and business life. And then forty six is never appear too perfect. So those ones stood out to me as ones that if if you were maybe a younger person in the corporate world or or you know just or someone that's very talented, whether through natural talent or because you've just got a lot more um, you know, hours or years of, of 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 work and study behind you than others that you're around. I guess one one of the things that I used to be naive to was the emotion of envy, yeah, and, and what can set that off in other people, yeah. And I used to think it was it was things that were more more overt, like if you just drove a nice car or you looked a certain way, you know, people could be envious of that material things. But what this talks about, in, in terms of avoiding things, is is how to. It's almost like how to avoid pricking that envy emotion in others unintentionally. To the extent so, possible, you know, don't correct, contribute. Yeah, obviously, yeah, don't contribute to the, to the development of envy. You know, at, at the very least, like you can't control it 100. percent But don't be a part of raising it. Yeah, and and that's where things like just never outshine the master, or even 19, know who you're dealing with. Don't offend the wrong person. When I first read this as a as a younger professional type, was it stood out to me because, you know, I had that naiveness when I was younger that I I never like thought to outshine anybody. 
Um, whether I, you know, whether I did or not, I guess others would, would, would be able to give you a better answer than me. But with my zeal and my excitement to do certain things, I would naturally just be very out front and aggressive and fast in doing them. And looking back at my life, let's just put it that way, I can see where some of my relationships that went awry may have been from unintentionally doing things like that, like, like outshining someone, not meaning to disrespect them, but they take it as a disrespect. Yeah. So those are, that's why it was important for me reading things like this, because it allowed me to reflect on thinking, okay, maybe that situation could have happened differently had I approached how I behave differently. You know, so I, there is a part of getting into all this, if you take it serious, that does, again, require you to hold a mirror up to yourself. And say, yeah. how do I, how do I kind of participate positively and negatively in these various laws? So, no, that's that's excellent, excellent point. Yeah, the, the number forty six, the never appear too perfect, was was very interesting to me in the sense that it goes into how envy itself is one of those character flaws we know that exists or character you know characteristics that exist, but that's one of the ones that people never own up to. Yeah, you know, like even like it's it's that. Well, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say it's a great point because I think society, you know, there's certain things that people don't own up to, right? Like most people won't up, own up to having any prejudice, where we all as human beings have natural prejudices on certain things. And I think this is another one. Most people, I would say almost 100% of people would, would not want to admit when they're being jealous or envious mm-hmm. because it's seen as a negative, uh, I guess, emotion or negative way to think. But was and that's what was beautiful about his book, uh, The Laws of Human Nature, because he had a whole chapter on envy. I mean, all of us have some form of envy. I mean, it's just well, it's but a natural also, though, feeling. Where I was going with that is a little different, though, because like yeah. something like greed or lust, you know, things like that. People, many people will show those. Like they won't hide those to the same degree. Like with envy, people don't reveal that really yeah. at all intentionally. That's like, what I mean. It, it's, there's something more negative, it seems, about the emotion of envy than even greed or lust. I mean, even though greedy isn't something to be, uh, I guess, worshipped, well, I guess <laughs> Gordon Gecko said greed is good, didn't he? Yeah, Wall Street. I was going to say, we, we're so, in a yeah, capitalist system. Yeah. So, so, but that's what I'm saying. Like, even though we, we all do kind of worship greed, we don't, no one likes to admit it, but it's not, I mean, Who's out there saying, "Yeah, I'm just so jealous," and I, you know, like, you know what I mean? Exactly, that's just exactly. I can't, envy has a different thing. So that's where it's, you're right about uh, 46. Never appear too perfect because it makes me also. I, I've seen this for a long time, just in life, and 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 I don't know how others listening feel, but I guess it's there's something about us as individuals that reflects maybe how we look at others, whether envious or not. But I never understood why, why like, let's say, go to, to athletics. Why people hate on someone because they're so good. Like, I never understood people that hate on, let's say, Tom Brady or LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Kobe. And, oh, I hate them. And I'm just thinking, how do you hate these guys when they're that good? I, I just don't understand it. And, and to me, part of it is they must, I always thought there must be some sort of envy that is in there permeating because none of these people have ever given me a reason to dislike them other than the fact, unless you don't like someone that's that good. And I look at it too, like, we did a show where we talked about some of the blowback on some of the celebrities like Meghan Markle, for example, and Prince Harry. And sometimes I wonder, like, what did these two do to people that there was so much scrutiny of their life that they decided to move from England? Like, and that's my point. Like, I just look at it and say, are people that envious of these two? Like, hey, man, and I'm sure you've heard this before. Haters going to hate. I know. That's, that, my that's, point. Part, of, and, that's and, part of the deal. And that actually where, goes into but that goes back to. And that's why I was going to say, though, back to 46, never appear too perfect is because, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how other way these people can act, but I feel like so I don't think they need to change how they behave, whether it's the athlete or the or the uh, Megan and, and Harry example. But it's just that it, it, it tells me that people must hate them because they think that they're like perfect or something. I mean, well, I no, it goes that there's yeah with with 46 what the, the advice there is to reveal flaws particularly if there's flaws that you don't really care about of yourself like reveal yeah. some flaws so that people don't look at you and you don't promote so to speak the hater to say oh that person just thinks they're so amazing or yada yeah. yada yada they think they're so perfect so that's one thing is to to reveal things that you don't really care about but that could be taken as you know, like, oh, yeah, that person has a flaw just like me, you know, type of thing. Yeah. So you, you almost build a camaraderie with and you don't make yourself to the extent possible the target of the hater. But that goes into 10 also where yeah. you want to avoid 
the unhappy people, you know, the people right. who always have something bad going on or always looking at things very negative because those that negativity is is something that's contagious. Well, and, you know what? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, and so it's the same type of, you know, it, it's a different perspective, you know, like when you're not appearing too perfect, that's different than avoiding the unhappy and unlucky, but it's the same concept in terms of that unhappy and unlucky person is going to bring their unhappiness, their, their characteristics, their outlook is going to bring that to you. And, you know, and the same thing with not being too perfect. Haters are going to hate. But if you reveal little flaws here and there with what's going on in yourself that aren't really that important to you, then you can throw them off the scent. Yeah. You know, and so that's the kind of, you know, the mindset where you're being proactive to avoid these things that exist in nature automatically. Yeah. No, it's funny because I have a friend who's you know, an attractive woman and she I don't think she's ever read this book, but she practices 46 somehow instinctively, I guess. And she's told me that in the past. She's like, Tunde, I, I, I do things on purpose like that to show that I have imperfections because then I guess it's tough being a woman out there because she's like so many females hate on other females. And if mm -hmm. like you're attractive or something, you just catch so much heat. So. But it's sad because as much as she does that stuff, like you said, at best, haters going to hate. She still yeah. catches heat. So. Well, but she might catch more. She might catch <laughs> no, more. No, like no, the avoid, you're not going to avoid but, but everything. But that's what I'm saying. It's kind of sad that, you know, as human beings, we also have to do that, right? Like you can't just be yourself sometimes. If you're naturally kind of good at something, you got to kind of... It's, it's, I think what, it, what was one of the... Um, I think that was in the Never Outshine the Master, maybe. But it was one of those where it was like Michelangelo, the famous uh, sculptor and painter. Yeah. That... Um, he did like the, the statue of David, I think it was like yeah. one of his real famous ones. Yeah. And the guy that commissioned him basically was complaining about the nose. And so he had to like, pretend like he was dusting off flakes just so that <laughs> guy could feel like he, you know, it's just that he gave and it's almost like had, had Michelangelo listened to him, we would never would have had the, the statue of David. Like we know it now because <laughs> he would have had to satisfy that guy's, that guy's, that guy's ego. So well, Michelangelo exercised, you know, a, a good bit of, of skill there to make yep. the guy happy, but also still give us a masterpiece. Um, but you, you mentioned something that, that we should tie is 38. Think as you like, but behave as others that you just said that. You know, as far as how, you know, you, you can't always just say everything that you think to everyone. You know, like you have yeah. to, to fit, blend in a little bit. Again, to not make yourself a target. The haters are there. The haters are always going to be there. But the more you try, you try to stand out in ways that you may not necessarily need to, the, the more target you put on your back and the more you're going to have to deal with. You know, so, but go ahead. You know, it's interesting. So let me not jump too far. So just jumping back real quick to finish off from chapter 10, because what I was going to mention to the audience, if you haven't read this book and you don't care to, go read chapter 10 at least, because what it reminds me of when you when you said a couple things about that one was actually internet trolls. Yeah. That's, this is, I think, why society has kind of been thrown off a little kilter in the last 10, 15 years with social media and the internet in general and these chat yeah. rooms and comments is because now it becomes harder to avoid these kind of people that have all this kind of envious... Um, uh, energy. No, you're who, who right. want to bring yes. people down. I mean, and maybe that explains the Meghan Markles and the and the and and Harry moving and and I think on our on the next segment of today's show when we're going to talk about um, unfortunately I think um, um, like the British uh, uh, TV. Yeah, uh, they're on Thursday's person, release. Yeah, this Thursday. Yeah, who, two days who committed suicide and specifically in her suicide letter referenced the trolling online and all that. So I think that's where. Technology has allowed kind of the, the infectious personality, um, the unhappy and unlucky to have a lot stronger voices and multiplied in bigger numbers than ever before. So Yeah, we've just, given them a megaphone, basically. We've given yeah. trolls and haters a megaphone on social media. And yeah, we like yeah, we'll talk about that, you know, on, on in the release that's coming out in, in a couple of days. Um yeah, so, because but, it's but, you know, it's something else. But yeah, how yeah, do you think you're, you're, um, you're uh, thinking like you uh, sorry, think as you like, but behave by others. Uh, going back to that chapter, you know, it's interesting to me is it's not just about, um, I think, creating en enemies or, or envy in that way, because uh, that's true about, you know, being careful what you say and all that. But I think it's also like I've learned, that's why I don't really get into politics with my business, mm -hmm. for example, because I've got clients of mine of all political stripes. And so I've learned that, by, by me just talking and not even meaning to say anything to somebody who might not think like me, 
but just trying to have an honest conversation or saying something that I just genuinely feel may rub someone the wrong way that might interrupt my ability to do business with them or their ability to do business with me. And so by keeping my, yeah. And so by keeping my mouth shut about certain things, it's not an intentional way. You know, I'm not trying to intentionally be sinister or hide anything. It's more of saying, you know what, in this moment and, and maybe the transactional nature of doing business with someone, which is nothing wrong with saying this transactional by not bringing up certain things just makes it go smoother. Yeah. And, and allows two people that otherwise might not be able to co- complete the transaction because maybe certain things were said or emotions got pricked a certain way um, to just go ahead and, and, and be easy on that transaction. So that's one thing I got from that chapter too, is it's, 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 it's just, again, without, without being even sinister about it, sometimes just, just behaving that way allows you to get through life a little bit smoother. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, because it's about avoiding trouble and that's avoiding creating trouble for yourself as well. Not just, Correct. you know, you want to avoid creating trouble. You want to avoid walking into troublesome situations. And, 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 so, and another good example besides politics, I think, would be a religion in that yeah. sense. A lot of people, you know, have their religious beliefs, religious views, uh, and they may have strong reli- views on other religions. Usually when people have strong views on religions outside of their own, they're usually negative. Because um, <laughs> if, if they were that strong, they'd probably go be that, that other religion. So it's another example where people have brought things up around religion, about religion. And it's just, you know, whether I think something or not, it's better to just stay quiet and move on than, than create a bunch of hay that allows your energy to, to move in a negative direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah. Now, another theme that we pulled out that was interesting. Now, this does go to a broader, you know, in the way we think of leadership, you know, as opposed to just general human interaction. And that's moving crowds, you know, like how to, to move crowds, to go in a direction that you want, particularly like that may be political, that may be military, that may be economic, things like that. We looked at laws like Law 27, play on people's need to believe in something. Another one was 32, you play on people's fantasies. You know, there are several of these, you know, like 37, create compelling spectacles, which really stood out to me going into how human beings are visual creatures more so then creatures that, again, respond to reason or, or thoughtful, you know, we respond to what we see much more than what we hear. And so that was one that really stood out. And then also, and which, you know, is kind of a sign of the times or is interesting in our times is Law 45 preached the need for change, but never reformed too much at once. You know, and so that was interesting. Yeah, so that so was, what, 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 anything jump out to you in those, man? Yeah, it was amazing because a lot of when I read these, and I think um, you did a great job in identifying those four as part of this kind of moving crowds theme, because I would say those out of all the 48 laws, those to me stuck out as kind of the most reptilian brain part, you know, in terms of, and by what I mean by that for the audience is the reptilian brain being the part of the brainstem that, that in our human brain that goes back to our earliest yeah. parts of development. Um, so kind of like when, 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 um, Life was still so young that mammals and reptiles had yeah. not yet our animal, it's, it's like our <laughs> animalistic it nature. So, yeah. correct. It's like the instinct, and like you said about people needing visuals, the emotional part of being swayed. So that, that also, reading those four, um, just kind of my mind went to yeah. politics. You know, and, and, and um, again, I've referenced on several of our shows, the book uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And he talks about, you know, having your why. And I remember he said, you know, politicians with 12 point plans never win. (laughs) No matter how good they are. It's the ones that know how to talk and move you with emotions and words. And I remember in that one, we, we, we compared both MAGA, you know, that the slogan, make America great again, along with um, Obama's um, hope and change slogan as being very similar. They're, they're very uplifting. And, and then we gave examples of other politicians that had slogans that didn't really hit you in the heart like that. And it's not to say that's the only reason why those two guys won their elections, but it's just a, an example of how important things like messaging are. I mean, this goes back to why, you know, advertisements, Madison Avenue, all these things are so important because they play on our psychology. And I think these four chapters spoke to that the most of, of just how how we get tied into things through emotions, words, images, um, and not so much yeah. rational thought. Yeah, and, and we can so. we think of ourselves as responding rationally. There's a lot of new research on this, you know, that's come out in the last 20 years um, on how we consider ourselves to be rational 
Um, but in fact, we don't. You know, there's thinking fast and slow. Uh, there's the righteous mind. You know, like the, those books have gone into it as far as how we respond in a much more animalistic way. And then we use our brain to kind of formulate our justification that makes us feel like, okay, yeah, I'm a rational, rational person. Yeah. And so this goes into that um, in terms of when you want to move the crowd, so to speak, you need to use visual. You need to get them to buy into ideas more abstract that they feel good about, that make them feel good. Um, it's not just going to be, like you said, the 12-point plan that you lay out and everybody sees, okay, okay, I see how this helps me. Therefore, I will support that. Like, that's just not how it works. That's not how human beings in groups yeah. respond to things. And I think that the problem is that the more intellectual type of mindsets don't tend to not understand that. So that's why they keep trying to explain everything and then get frustrated when people don't re respond to these detailed points and explanations. Um, but it's interesting because you make a point about the, the research and science behind all this stuff over the last 20 years. And that's a great point you make because this book being written in 98 um, was kind of, that was also the time when technology and, and kind of the medical side of, of the technological boom was also starting to really yeah. take hold. So what's amazing is he wrote this book. So you can look at the research over the last 20 years since the book was written uh, with with the um, higher um, you know uh, imaging of fMRI and the ability f to really look at brain scans and 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 how people respond to things off things like visual images uh, verbal cues and all that it's it, this book is so right in so many of these things that's what's amazing about it is that the research that's been able to to to, to come out of uh, through the technology or from technology that's available now over the last two decades has basically proven a yeah. lot of these points that Robert Greene wrote about. So yeah, it's just yeah. fascinating. And it's it's taught me a lot because I used to, I mean, I think of myself as rational, but I've learned from reading these books that I'm irrational, just like everyone else. Um, and I mean that seriously, but I'm sure my wife could tell you that without having to have me read books. But, um, but the reality is that it's, it's, it's amazing how, how much these books also teach us that we don't have as much control over our own decisions as we believe yeah. we do. And I think that's some of the humbling, that's some of the humbling stuff about specifically this book and other books by Robert Greene and other books that are similar to his, um, is that if you really absorb them, what you realize is that we're all creatures that can be manipulated yeah. by all these things. And what these kind of books also help me realize is just when someone is trying to do that to me, you know, so you can kind of navigate a little bit better uh, through the journey of life. That no, way that's well. an excellent point. And, um, you know, like it, it, this is now this, this segment or this, this, this theme is one of those where people would look at the book and say, oh, wow, it's a very Machiavellian book. Um, but nonetheless, it shouldn't take away from your ability to learn from it because yeah, it really, when you're reading something like this, it's a study of humanity and, and cause we're human beings and we interact with each other, other on a daily basis. And that is how human beings throughout history have been shown to respond to, to different things. You know, like the, even if you look at, um, the, what well, I believe it was law 27, um, play on people's need to, to believe, you know, like it, it goes through like the steps that, that happen to create cult-like followings, you know, like as far as keeping it simple, you know, and just appealing to sensual, not intellectual, appealing to things that that people feel, not that they would think about. And we see we see that today. You know, we can see that with how, you know, even political leadership tries to create cult-like followings by not not with intellectual arguments, but by making people feel a certain way about either certain things. Or one of the other pieces is creating us versus them dynamic, you know, in terms of how to create that cult-like following. And we can see those tools being wielded. And yeah, it becomes like you're watching, you're reading this and watching what's going on in society. And it makes all the sense in the world. Things that everybody's around like, oh, I yeah. can't, how is this happening? How is this happening? It's like, oh. I see how this is happening. It's because they're doing, they're following these steps and they're playing on people's emotions or they're doing this and that. And so, yeah, yeah. it's fascinating from that standpoint. Um, you know, did, was there anything else you wanted to add in on this theme? No, just I think you, you hit on something important, which is reading these kind of books and kind of really absorbing them has actually helped me like maintain my sanity, honestly, because <laughs> the, the, the um, because besides the, the points we're talking about here on the, just about the laws and, and how they might relate to kind of life and all that. I mean, 
Robert Greene does a great job just going through historical examples of yeah. all these different things. So for those that haven't read it, um, it's a great read because that's what I mean by, by it helps me not freak out about whatever I think is going on now is you realize this is humanity after a while yeah. reading this book that just, you know, throughout recorded history, all these things, whatever we think is happening now in the world has already happened. Yeah. You know, there's been some period of historic time where that society thought that everything was great and they were on the top of the world and then they weren't anymore. You know, whether it was Athens, whether it was the Romans, whether it was, you know, he's, he gives examples from the Second World War, the First World War, you know, other times in, you know, the Middle Ages. So it says, you know, he gives examples, I thought, which were some of them were very interesting from, um, um, you know, the, the Ming Dynasty in China. Yeah. He gives yeah, examples yeah. from Mao, you know, how he took over in China. So, yeah, you just kind of read and you realize, you know what? This is just regular human BS over history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this stuff's been just, going on. It's just been it's going been... on. We're not so special. That's kind of the feeling I got of it, which is good and humbling. Like, you know, there's nothing so different about this period of time other than the Internet and, and some of the modern technological advances, of course. But but the human beings and the human emotional states and mindsets are all the same. Yeah. And if you understand that, I feel like it helps you maintain your sanity in this in this sea of BS that we're living in this world, honestly. No, so. it's, it's excellent. And, and I did want to mention one thing on Law 45, you know, preach the need to change but never reform too much yep. at once, and, you know, reform too much at once. And that one was very interesting. That's something that if we look at just the last century or so where you see, because basically that talks about um, every time you have big change, people, you know, are from a, as creatures, you know, like we're, they're generally scared, you know, yeah. and, and change is something that scares people and people hold on to tradition a lot of time just for the security and comfort of that. And when you, when that's yanked away too quickly, there's always a backlash. And so you can, people like the idea of change, but when their lives start changing, a lot of times you get a backlash and that's part, part of managing that so that all your change doesn't get unraveled is to yeah. don't hit them with all the change, like either Either make the change look like it's not changing like a lot, you know, or there's not a lot of change, make it seem like it's not changing a lot, or do the change more slowly so that you don't end up generating a backlash that wipes out everything that you're doing. And that's something yeah. that, like that, you can see that in our politics now as well, you know, as far as yeah. there, there are people preaching the need for great change, you know, and, and you wonder, you know, how, how successful that'll be, because if you look back throughout history— those type of things have, have a hard time to do a bunch of change at one time. I guess the only time you can really make an exception for that is when you're coming out of great tragedy. You know, then yeah. at that point, everything is broken and putting it back together, you have a little more leeway than when th people don't think everything, even if things are falling apart on, on the inside and people don't think it's all crazy, then it's really hard to get big change really fast and to make it stick. And yeah. so, you know, that I mean, really stood out to me. There, therein lies, you basically explained all political headaches ever. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think from, from like nations and, and all that. And it's, um, it's amazing because for those that haven't read it, that chapter does a great job showing. Um, they, it, they talk about King Henry. I don't remember which one, which, which number King of England. Um, King Henry um, might have been the eighth. Uh, but this was during the, the, the period where England was going through the Reformation and kind of converting from a Catholic country to a Protestant country. Yeah. And so it talked to it as a very fascinating history. I mean, that's my point. Like when you start reading about how crazy stuff was back then, you realize, you know, this is whatever's going on now is not that. You know? <laughs> so, but 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 it but it's to your point, and I think um, you know, we, we talked about that briefly when we did the uh the 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 review of the Martin Luther King book about the change. Yeah. Yeah, change um, and I think, yeah. and I think if we look at even some of it without you know getting off into a tangent about politics, I mean some of the the recent let's call it the last twenty years of of U.S. politics, um, we can see a lot of that where there's been a lot of change, and some of it's the incremental stuff hasn't been pushed back on as much as some of the stuff that doesn't seem as incremental and that's a little bit more in everyone's face. So it's just yeah. an interesting, um, and I'll say that on both sides of the pol political aisle in the United States. There's things that conservatives have, have pushed back against that they felt were too quickly to change. And, you know, now with, um, you know, a, I'd say a Republican president in office, there's things that the left and, and uh, liberals have pushed back on that they felt was too much change too fast. So just fascinating when you really look at it from 30,000 feet, uh, how both sides react the same way when there's something, when they feel that change has come too fast for things that they hold dear. 
their sacred cows. Yeah, 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 definitely. So um, the last thing we wanted to, to touch on as far as the book, and I mean, it's a big book, you know, but it's it, there's, it's much more than what we sum up here. But yeah, we definitely. just wanted to try to give some organization to it so we could kind of t- talk about some of the laws and how they, you know, like the, the, the concepts really that, that, that they push forward or, or put forth. The last one was, was I, I sum up just making moves, you know, like how to get from point A to point B, advance yourself or uh, advance your enterprise, what you have going on. Um, and that theme tune day, you know, what, what was, I know there were several of the ones that, that stood out to you in this one, um, when, when we had spoke before we, we went on. So, you know, yeah, we take, take us through, man. What, what, you're, you're all about making moves, man. You know, what, what, <laughs> what, what, what we got, man, on, nah, on this man. theme? There's uh, four specifics here that, that stood out. Um, laws 2, 30, 35, and 47. So those are, um, two is never put too much trust in friends, learn how to use enemies. So I'll give you my thoughts on that one. Then um, number 30, make your accomplishments seem effortless. 35, uh, master the art of timing, which is very important. And 47, which is do not go past the mark you aim for in victory, learn when to stop. So in in naming those even, I, I see how some relate to others. So making your, accomplish- oh, yeah. seem, sorry, making your accomplishments seem effortless kind of also reminds me of, um, you know, the one of... Uh, never seem too perfect. You got to, that's a delicate balance because if you're going to make your efforts seem, uh, make your accomplishments seem effortless, you may run the risk of kind of looking too perfect. So there's, there's certain themes that play off each other a bit. And when you get into them and you really absorb them, you kind of see that some of them, you got to play that fine line and, and, and do the dance in between. Well, I would say with most of them, there, there's a tightrope yeah, basically the tight rope that, that's being yeah. set up here. And and like if you go too too far one way or the other, like this is just kind of giving you the guide rails Correct. of the tightrope. Because yes, you don't by by not making your or by making yourself be able to accomplish things effortlessly to make it seem that way, it it, it puts in people's minds your competence, your excellence, you know. And if they look to you yeah. in that way, um, now you cannot make yourself seem perfect. You can make have errors in other areas, you know. But if they if somebody wants somebody that can do X Y Z, it's like oh that guy does it and it's amazing yeah. and. You know, it, it, it's and if you show struggle, you you people then take you as just common, like oh that guy, I can yeah. do what he does. You know, he's up there breaking his neck. You know, like so people don't you you won't have the same admiration, so to speak, and people won't look to you the same if you're not able to manage that perception. You know, and a lot of these are managing yeah. perceptions. Um, and in this case, you know, like that. So yeah, that one was. Well, was it reminds was, me of when we did the show on uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers, which goes into the ten thousand hours. Thing. And again, yeah. I think we talked about how if, well, if everyone can get to a certain point, you know, in general, uh, with 10,000 hours or more of, of kind of uh, focus on a certain activity, then there's a part of it, too, that if everyone has the ability to do that, it makes, uh, you know, it makes most of us feel like even ashamed of ourselves because we may not have applied ourselves at that level. So there's a part of us that don't want to see people working that hard because it reminds us that we're not working that hard in a sense. There's a certain, there's a certain yeah, psychological yeah, part of yeah. that. And I think of when I, when I yeah. think of that again, I go back to thinking of just my brain goes to the athletes. So whether it's the Tom Brady's, the LeBron James's, those type of guys, because they're the ones, it, there is something almost divine about watching those type of athletes play because they do appear so like they make it all look so effortless. But the reality yeah. is that they spent you know, 20,000 hours, you know, it's like more than enough time practicing and all that behind the scenes, but we don't see that. So, yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's interesting that these four stand out in terms of, um, uh, you know, the, the kind of making moves and then 47 go, don't, don't go past the mark you aim for in victory, learn when to stop. That one is so important on so many levels that I think uh, it's, it's one of those underestimated out of all these 48 laws. And I think that one, uh, what it speaks to a lot is our emotional state. Because and yeah. he gets into that at the beginning of the chapter, which is, you know, victory can bring about so much emotions, you know, and it's a, correct, intoxicating. intoxicating and depending, I guess, on yeah. what the accomplishment was and, and what it took to get the victory. Because if it was a very difficult long haul, um, like you're saying, you 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 you. You could be with feelings of intoxication of like feelings of grandeur or or things like that. So sometimes it's it's very difficult, depending on the situation, to know when to stop when you're winning. 
And um, yeah, I've seen the, that a lot, honestly, with in the business community. Guys will hit a home run, you know, they might they might cash out of a private equity deal, something like that. But now they've got this, you know, they think that they're unstoppable. And they start going yeah, into the yeah, and they touch. start going into other things, yeah, got- and then inevitably they might fail at those next few things. And then they'll look back and mm-hmm. say, "Man, you know what? I should have left good enough alone. I should have I should have walked away with this bag of money that I had." And I or I, I should have put more. Like I shouldn't have just went off my correct, gut yeah. on these next ones. I should have put went back to the lab correct. and started planning again, like I did the first time, instead of just saying, "Oh, I'm on a yeah. roll. Let's just keep it rolling." And um, yeah, I mean, in that one, you mentioned our, you know, we mentioned uh, law two with that in terms of yeah. never too much, put too much trust in friends and learn how to use enemies. Like that one was very, um, it's counterintuitive to, to a sense, in a sense. But when you're when you're when you're doing stuff, you know, in terms of like friendship is an interesting bond from the standpoint of when you're trying to accomplish things because friends don't necessarily look at like the friendship bond. Oftentimes, isn't made one or one that's made on reliance. From a like, we're going to accomplish X, Y, Z. I need you. You need me. You're friends because you choose to be yeah. around those people, despite you know, or, or you know, in spite of any flaws or whatever like that. And so, learning how to use people, through, learning how to use enemies is a lesson. If you want to tie this back, is a lesson in self interest. Learning how to 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 play that that um, self interest on an enemy, where you guys both know that this we're interacting right now. Because we're trying to accomplish X, Y, Z. Or if you're really good, they won't even know that what they're doing is, is serving yeah. your interest because you put some other self-interest in front of them that, and it's not somebody that's on your team or that's your friend, but you have them working towards your ends. And so again, being able to understand how to interact with people in a way that whatever you're trying to accomplish can be moved forward. And that doesn't always mean put it all on your friends and say, well, they're my friends. So therefore they're going to work really hard to help me out and everything like that. Cause that's not definitely not playing on their self interest. Yeah. No, you know? So it's, it's just, it's interesting that one to me. So that was an example of one where I, I used to be much more naive to that fact. Um, and mm-hmm. just thought, Oh, cause we're friends, you know, it'll all work out. We'll get into this or that together. And it's, and then <laughs> I learned why they have that, that, term, you know, don't mix friends with business. Um, but even though I say I learned that, I don't I don't ascribe to that. I mean, look, we're friends and now we have this business with a podcast. So I think what it taught me was more so as if I'm going to do something with friends, to your point, I need to then have a separate conversation and separate actions about the actual task at hand we're doing together, that this is not about being friends. This is about accomplishing this goal. Correct, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to have measurements and all that. So... It's um the friendship become the friendship becomes correct. incidental and and you know it's not the basis of what you're doing it is it's it's just oh well this person's around and they have an ability let's combine efforts in a way that again is not about being a friend yeah it's about you can do this I can do this let's, and that's let's why make I say it doesn't happen. mean that you can't do friends with business sorry do do business with friends <laughs> um, I said that backwards <laughs> uh, but but what it means is. If you're going to go into business with a friend, then maybe be a little bit more diligent about setting out the guidelines and parameters of that particular endeavor that you're doing together. Just to make sure, like, everybody's got a box to check just to make sure that the the emotions don't get in the way, the friendship emotions. Then the other is learning how to use enemies. Again, that's another, just like not going past your mark. It's another one of Robert Greene's ways of saying, you know, look in the mirror and humble yourself. Control to control yeah. your own emotions. Yeah, maybe that person is an enemy. Maybe they slighted you, but if you can use them to accomplish your goal even better, because the fact they're enemies, they won't. They'll. I mean, he had a way of saying it in the chapter because he had a, he had a couple of good examples. But he basically said enemies will almost look to like prove themselves to you because of the fact you're not friends and that you've had some sort of animosity. Um, so it's almost yeah. like in a. Well, they know you're watching yeah. them closely. They know there's not some implicit Correct. trust there. And I, yeah, that's a great way to put it because he, he almost said that um, it, it almost alluded to the fact that you can trust an enemy more because of that. Not necessarily that you're going to tell him you trust him, but that you but, would. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but you, you just kind of know that the fact that you're coming into this together from from probably a, a not so good footing, and maybe the way that you're able to use them is because you, you've come out on top of whatever you know battle or argument you guys had that then that person will most likely go the extra mile, like you said, Jimmy, because they know they're being watched in a sense. So, 
whether that made sense or not, I'm not sure, but it made made sense in my head. <laughs> not sure it got out the way that <laughs> that I thought it. Well, no, it's the same type of, of mindset that the the enemy piece can be temporary. It doesn't have to be forever if there is a use for them after the fact that you can make that you can do something with. Now that may not be 100 percent of the time, but it's sometime, you know. And so it's again opening your mind, humbling yourself in that. Okay, there can be still some common interests in the future, you know. So that's something that again, it's interesting. It's not something. None of these are things that you have to live by day by day every yeah. single time. But it's all things to be able to swirl around in your mind. And you know, the last thing we want to talk about, and you know, time's coming up on an end anyway, where. Um, Master the art of timing, Tunde. What you got on timing, man? Yeah, no, I mean that's. I uh, think in, in a way it speaks for itself. But again, um, having now read this in different parts of my life and going through different experiences, this one, as I've matured, means a lot more to me today than when I first read this book eight years ago. Uh, timing is is so important in so many ways, and and you know, there's a lot of times that the timing's a little bit out of our control as well. So, to the to the best of one's ability, that they can control you know, when they time things that are right for them. And I mean, there's so many examples. That's why I guess I'm not trying to go down one road. It's, it's yeah, it's that chapter on its own. I think one just needs to read it and they'll absorb it, and it, and yeah, it their own way. One of the interesting pieces in it was it, there's the timing. When we think of timing, it's like, okay, when do you act? When do you do something? But it, so there's that, which is important, you know, like having the right time to, to, to do something or to refrain from doing something in order to cause some effect. Um, but there's also, it, he discussed, being able to to speed up time or slow down time as far as how long you take to do something or basically not just the timing of when to do something, but how long it takes you to do stuff. Sometimes it's in your benefit to slow things down. Yep. Somebody who may be your adversary, that may throw them off if you slow down. If they think you're coming right away and you slow it down a little bit, that may throw them off or vice versa. Um, you know, in sports, people alternate their timing uh, all the time. You know, basketball, that's a big thing. Like people, somebody running a pick and roll, you know, like how whether you blast out or whether you go slowly and, and let the defense react a little bit changes and it throws them off by varying that stuff. You can throw somebody off their their mark um, or off their base. So. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's an excellent book, though. I mean, it, it, it's a book that I mean, 48 laws. And yeah, it's hard to keep them all in your head at one time, obviously. <laughs> but um, it's a good yep. reference and it's good to just explore your mind. And you made an excellent point earlier about this being written in 98. A lot of the science that's come out since then has really validated a lot of the stuff that it says. Yeah. And that part is even like, I read it, you know, 10 years ago and then reading it again. And it's like, oh man, I've read like eight books since then that talk about this stuff from a like brain scan standpoint or other, you know, another like scientific method way. So it's like, yeah, I mean, hat, hat tip to, to Robert Greene for sure. Um, you know, this was a masterpiece. You know, so until next time, you know, like this, this was a fun culture series, though. Definitely. Yeah. So, nah, yeah, we, we appreciate everybody joining us. Um, you know, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Gomana. All right. Subscribe, rate, review. See you guys next time.